Good morning, church. It is a great blessing to be with you again this morning. This morning we will be in Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 18 through 30. Let me read for us. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the firstfruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption and sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just, we thank you, God. What a friend we have in Jesus. You are the way, Lord. You are the way, the truth, and the life, Lord. We thank you for the hope that you've given us, Lord, that we we would obey you, Lord, follow your commandments to fear God. And Lord, to your end be the glory, to the foolishness of preaching, God. I pray that you be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to open up this morning by telling you of two very well-known men in the Christian faith. The first is a man by the name of C.S. Lewis. That rings a bell. A man who was born in Northern Ireland. He was homeschooled and well-educated at home as a child. And during those early years, his, his mother had passed away. So his dad sent him off to boarding school. He did very well in school. He excelled in, in academics. And in fact, he, he drew the attention of the instructors so much that they continued to further educate him. He would eventually land himself in Oxford. But it was also at this time that he became so well educated, and his knowledge increased so much, that he also became an atheist. One of the things that he loved to do was debate. He, he, having a very much of an intellectual mind, he loved to discuss things with other people. 
Well, the Lord would have it that while at Oxford, many of his friends were Christians. And also, additionally, his favorite authors were Christians. So this was peculiar to him. He, though he could not grasp it fully, he still remained an atheist. But he loved to discuss Christianity. He enjoyed the debate. So he was very curious about the faith, and, and this continued to almost plague his mind constantly over and over again. He puts, us this, put, he puts it this way. One day he was in an outing with his brother. They were going to the zoo. Uh, they took along a, a motorcycle. C.S. Lewis was seated in the sidecar, and this is what he said. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God, and when we reached the zoo... I did. <laughs> After putting his faith in Christ, he remained on at Oxford, growing in his Christian faith with the abilities that God had gifted him with. Uh, again, he continued in debate, convincing people to turn to Jesus. You guys might know one of his well-known write writings, Mere Christianity, published worldwide. It was also at this time that World War II occurred. And the government called on those who lived in the countryside to take in the children. Children needed to be spared from the horrors of war. And C.S. Lewis, living in the countryside in a moderately large house, welcomed that call. So he brought in the children to come live with him. And it was a great concern of him. He saw that many of the children were illiterate. And this concerned him to a great deal, and him being a professor, of course, taught them. He taught them to read. Additionally, he was fascinated by the curiosity of children. One, one day he recalls that a little girl wandered into a wardrobe in one of his rooms. She asked, may I have a look around? Sure. It was there that sparked the idea of that well-beloved story or chronicles, you know, the one that involves a famous lion. He said he wrote these stories because he wanted children to turn to Jesus. Lewis died in 1963, but before that he had written several books, spoken all over the world, was beloved by his countrymen. He received invites from the Royal Air Force, even Winston Churchill himself. Sold millions of books, made lots of money, which by and large he gave away. And his books are still loved today by the most intellectual to the most innocent of minds. C.S. Lewis. Secondly, the other character, the other man, is a man by the name of Nate Saint, maybe not as well known. He grew up in a Christian home with Christian parents raised in the faith. He always desired to, to fly. He always wanted to be a pilot. Uh, the Lord, through various circumstances in Nate's life, moved him to the Air Force where he received flight training. He would eventually be called to go out and to share the gospel through his abilities as a pilot. It was in 1948 that him and his wife Betty were called to reach the Indian tribes of eastern Ecuador, tribes that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And it was there that they raised three of their children, serving year after year, 
faithfully to a people that did not know him. But it was in the year of, of 1955, 1955 in the fall, him and four other missionaries, one of them you might know, Jim Elliott, set out on a great plan to reach a tribe known as the Auka Indians, or also known as the Waodani tribe. They were known to be very hostile. They didn't like outsiders. In fact, they didn't even like the other tribes. Anybody that tried to reach out to them were killed. In fact, nobody from this tribe had ever, to their knowledge, had ever heard or known the name of Christ. This bothered Nate, and he wanted to do something about that. So they began to develop plans, him and the four other missionaries, and they would establish relationship with the tribe by flying overhead. They would, they would drop gifts to them uh, in a bucket, and they would, they would land at the tribe's feet. They would collect what it was, and they'd become very excited, and they would exchange this gift. Over a series of four months, they would, they would establish relationships. Well, they knew the rainy season was coming in 1955, or I'm sorry, 1956. And they knew that they had to make a decision. Are we going to reach them face-to-face? Are we going to make that face-to-face contact? They decided that they would. So they established plans. They established a landing site on a spot that you guys might know as Palm Beach. The first meeting with this tribe happened on January 8th, or I'm sorry, January 6th, 1956. They met with a boy, a girl, and a woman. The meeting went very well. They were excited. They said, this is it. The Lord has blessed us. We are going to continue this. Two days passed, January 8th, 1956. The five of them set up in the plane again. As they were flying overhead, Nate would radio to his wife, who was back at the home base. This is what he said. It looks like they'll be here for early afternoon service. Pray for us. This is the day. I'll contact you next at 4.30. That call never came. It was on that day that five missionaries entered glory after they were killed by the tribe. Saint died at 32 years of age. Lewis died at 64. So I tell you about these two individuals we might see, and as we look at this verse from Romans, that yeah, things might have worked out okay for Lewis. I mean, he was pretty successful. In fact, I think most people would say that they, they worked pretty good for him. Oh, I don't know about Nate. I don't know about the other four missionaries. Maybe, they, maybe some good would have come of it, but not as good. Today, I would like us, and, and much of my attention this morning will be focused on this very well-known verse in 28. For us to know that wherever we're at and whatever circumstances fall our way, that they are working together for our good. 
and God's glory. A couple observations I want to make about 28. My first is the certainty of knowing. Now, let me just read it to you one more time. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Knowing. This absolute certainty of knowing that that is the case. We ask of our Lord. He grants wisdom to those who ask. Paul reminds us and to the Ephesians in Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, of revelation, and the knowledge of him. How can we have such confidence? How can we have such knowledge? Because God grants it. And if we ask, he will give. So knowing, we know because the Lord grants us understanding. Secondly, we know because God's word is true. Well, how do we know God's word is true? <laughs> to put it bluntly, he says so, right? He, his word is inerrant. Uh, Psalm 119.89, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly, firmly fixed in the heavens. I like that. It is fixed. It is, it is settled. It is a, a done deal. We know because God's word is true. We also know because we have security in Christ. We don't serve a God of uncertainty. And certainly when it comes to our security in Christ, our our salvation, we are forever in the arms of God. We are never to be taken away. We can rest assured in his salvation and what he has for us. We are secure. Just using the the context here of of what Paul is is talking about, just some of the language that he's certain of. He is secure because, right, the glory that is to be revealed, he is secure because he can obtain the freedom of glory, and he eagerly awaits this adoption. He is so secure in his faith and his security in Christ, he knows that these good things are coming. He is so assured in the promises of Christ and what he has in store for him that he doesn't waver on this. This is a comforting realization that at the end of trials and tribulations, we can land at this. And we don't have to, to waver that all the things that are happening around us, we know for absolute certainty that they're for our good. And also, what we know is that the Lord wins. The Lord wins. The victory will be his. Psalm 41.11, David says this, By this I know that you delighted me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. And we saw this in the, in the life of David, all the victories that, that God had given him over his enemies. He trusted in the Lord and was given constant victory. Even though he faced defeat from time to time, the Lord was with him. Above all, we ultimately see a victory in, in the Savior which we serve, a triumph, 
a, a victorious Savior who triumphs over death, over the grave. And Scripture reminds us that our Lord will make his enemy a footstool. So we know that the Lord wins. We know. What confidence, such knowledge that the Lord grants his children. My, my second observation here is all things work together for good. All things work together for good. Uh, first, I have to explain what all things are. Right, this is comprehensive. This does include everything, the good, the bad, and the in-between. Right, we serve a sovereign king. He allows all things to happen for his purposes. For his children, they work together for good. Well, let's look at that. Let's, let's just first look at the good. What are some of the good things that are happening right now? If I just take the very mundane, just for, for this service, for instance. Right, we're here on a, on a spring day to sit under God's teaching, to fellowship with other Christians, to wake up this morning, to physically be here. After service, we will get the blessing of enjoying a meal, whether at the potluck or at home, or maybe a restaurant, a restaurant that, that we can go to and, and we can afford because God has blessed us with a means of income. After that, we can go home. We can take a rest. After our rest, we can walk out in our lawn. We can smell the flowers. We can take in the spring breeze. We can look upon our, our grandchildren, our children, to see them run and play. At the end of the day, see the sunset. And lay down in a nice bed and rest in the peace and comfort of knowing God our Savior. Those are just some of the, the, the physical, common grace blessings that we get to experience every day, the good. But what about the spiritual? Right? It says he has given us all things we need for life and godliness. Right? He provides wisdom and, and understanding, strength of mind, faithfulness, joy, peace, love. God has given us so many good things. I think maybe more of the, the difficulty sometimes is that even in the mundane, we, we can become distracted and, and may not see that even the goodness of God is, is being worked out and, and the ordinary blessings. Well, what about the bad? Again, if we just... Look at the very opening verse in which we read. Paul says, For I consider at the sufferings of this present time. He, he opens up by saying, Difficulty, sufferings, bad times. He goes on to tell the reasons why we are not to worry or not to fret. But he knows that this is happening in the life of the Romans. It's happening in the life of you and I. He talks about creation, right? They are uh, in futility, uh, meaning 
that creation cannot reach its potential. Right? We, we see this. You know, the, the $75, $85, that, that you, the flowers you sent to mom on Mother's Day. Right? Five days later, they're not what they used to be. Right? We, we, we see this, the, that creation is not able to reach its potential. But Paul also says not only for creation, but you and I. He, he describes this, this inward groan that, that all these things that are happening, uh, it's, it's heavy. It's weighty. And he says we groan inwardly. can't even express it with words. Right? It's because of the weight of sin. The weight of sin, it's heavy, it's weighing us down. We groan inwardly. We can't even express it. In verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. Look at the state of our world. We're reminded this on the daily. Right? We, have, we have leaders who don't know how to lead. Evil runs amok. Crime goes unpunished. Our poor children, their, their, their minds are being corrupted at school, at the screens in front of them. You know, we hear of so much trauma and bad news that our sensitivities aren't even shocked anymore. When we hear about a shooting, it's, it's not the same shock as it was before. Suicides are up, drug use and depression in our youth. The nuclear family is being absolutely demolished, deteriorated. I'm just speaking of like larger scale, worldwide. And we can even bring the bad, the bad is even closer to home. What about when the loved one is at the hospital too long? And they've been there day after day. And the uncertainty of death. The difficulties. The sickness. Maybe our job is not satisfying. Not reaching its full potential. Right? We groan every time we fill up at the pump. Man, every time you go by the gas station, another 10 cents. Financially, our pocketbooks shrink. Maybe our families are disputing with us over our Christian beliefs. Maybe we have a child that has wandered away from the Lord. Remember, Christian, all things, all things, Work together for the good of those who love him. Now I understand that most of life doesn't fall between the good and the bad. It's it's that that middle ground sometimes. It's just the the everyday. But he is with us. He is with us. All things working together. My third observation, and this is important. This is for those who love God. For those who love God. See, all things don't work together for those who are distant from God, who are 
running from him. We know that for those who love God, all things work together. And in this love that we have for him, let, let me specifically describe for you what this love is. This love is surrender. When Jesus called Levi from the tax booth, when Jesus called James and John from their nets, the fishermen, they left and followed him. Right, the hymn does not say, I surrender some, does it not? I surrender all. This love is a surrender to our dear Lord. Love is also obedience. John fifteen fourteen. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Right? Obedience is a mark of a, of a true believer. We want to obey him because we love him. I would also say that this love longs to be with the Savior. Longs to be with the Savior. You know, that's a, that's a natural response for somebody that we love. We want to be with them. If you look at the, the second half of verse 23, I read part of it earlier. And not only this creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as Son, the redemption of our bodies. Do you know when our bodies will be redeemed? When we get to be with Him. When we are with Christ. So, so we long to be with Him because we know that is when our final redemption has occurred. This adoption we have been adopted into the family of God, but in its fullest sense, when we are finally with him. When we love somebody, we want to be with them. Uh, back in 2003, I met my beautiful wife. I was stationed at Fort Lewis in the Army, and she lived in Puyallup. And one Sunday, I met her at a small Baptist church. And I said, she's pretty good. And so, almost every single day, from Fort Lewis to Puyallup, I made that 25-minute drive in my little Honda Civic. And her parents were like, man, that guy eats a lot of food. He's always over here. But when you love somebody, you want to be with them. And in its fullest sense, our Lord... And I know our, on a human level, our love is also imperfect. It falls short. It doesn't meet its, its full expectation. But at the end of the day, our Savior puts a deep longing in our hearts to those who love him. My fourth and final observation. It is those who are called those who are called. There is a gospel element to this verse. You see, we love Christ not out of a, a natural human heart level, 
but it is that he has called us to himself. It was not of our doing, lest any man boast. In 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Right? We could not conjure up enough love in our human heart to be with the Father. He called us. He called us. That's, that's another reason that we have so much confidence in him. Is because he chose us. If you even look at the last two verses, verses 29 and 30, for, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It was not of our own doing. Thanks be to God if he has called us to himself. The good news is, the call is still going out. The call is still going out. Right? Matthew twenty-two fourteen. Many are called, few are chosen. Someone recognized this in, in Luke when he said, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Guess what? It's not too late. It's, it's not too late. So, so first, this is the first step. If you don't, you will never have the, the knowing assurance. You will never have a, a realization that all things are working together for your good. You will never have the love of the Father unless first you receive the call. Unless first you receive the call, and today is that glorious day. If, if you've never heard the call, today is the day of salvation, the Lord says. Today is the day to receive his goodness, to put your faith in him and trust him for, for the forgiveness of sin and life everlasting. That is the first step. And then his love will be shed abroad in our hearts. And we can walk in this confidence. But I'd also like to remind us that those who live in the assurance of, of this faith, to be reminded of it again, to make it afresh, another remembrance today, right? that all the happenings around us, even as, as difficult and hard as it can be, that he is with us. You know, our, our calling may never be to reach the, the victory of a, of a C.S. Lewis and, and to have the praises of men thrown at us. We may not even be called to live a martyr's death, to have biographies written about us, such as Nate Saint. But you know what? This is the good news, right? God has, has called you where you're at today. If, if you're a, a stay-at-home mom, teaching your children, serving faithfully, all things are working together for good. If you're a, a dad that's 
just providing for his family and working hard, just doing a normal job. All things are working together for good. Even if you're a a confused teenager just trying to figure out life and, and where to go, keep obeying and honoring your parents. Look to the Lord. All things are working together for good. Even if you're in retirement and those, those years are winding down and praise be to God, maybe volunteering at the church or, or serving where God has allowed you, right? Even in those, those days, all things are working together for good. Or maybe death is near. Maybe you don't know when will be the last. Maybe you sit in a care facility and, and it's so difficult to get up day after day. Christ is with you, dear brother or sister. Christ is is with you. He is our hope now and in the ages to come. So receive this encouragement. On this morning, June 12, 2022, in all things and in all seasons are working together for our good and God's glory. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much. Lord, I I pray that all your people here today would would rest in this confidence. That we know that all things work together for the good of those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. What a confidence we can have now and forevermore. That we don't have to be worried or distressed. Thank you, God, for being our great confidence. We praise you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.